We're going to turn to our scripture now. Um, We've been sticking with Luke's account. We've been in Luke since January, and through our Easter services, we have stuck with Luke's account uh, of these Easter happenings. So I'm going to begin our reading today at the cross, where we finished on Good Friday. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to continue on into the first section of chapter 24. So if you have a Bible there, please turn to this. It will be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to start at verse 44, and then carry on into chapter 24. So let's hear the word of the Lord together. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd came to see the crucifixion, saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish High Council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, 
that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what had happened. This is God's word for us this Easter day. Let's pray. Risen Jesus, there is power in your resurrection and there is power in your word that tells us of it. Let your word come in power now so that we might experience again your risen presence in our hearts. Not just going through the motions, but truly meeting with you this morning. Stand among us, risen Christ. Meet us here for your own sake. Amen. So I'm beginning very deliberately at the crucifixion today because although there is a chapter division that's been put in here that is not something that Luke did that was added later by someone else this is actually one single account and the first part informs the second part the reason we need the first part to set the scene is because the first part tells us what these women know and have witnessed and have taken part in. These women know that Jesus has not survived. And they know that because they were there. My clicker's not clicking, you're going to have to do it. They knew he was dead because they had witnessed the horror of it with their own eyes. They were there. They had heard the screams and the cries. They had seen the blood and the gore. They had seen him suffocating because he could no longer breathe. They were there. They know that Joseph of Arimathea, a respected man, a member of the council, that he has requested the body and wrapped it in linen. Move the slide on again for me, please. And verse 55 tells us that they had followed the body when it was carried away and they saw it being placed into the tomb. And then they go home. And they make preparations for the task, the traditional task that the women of the family would do for a relative. They prepare spices and ointments 
ready to anoint his body so that it is given an honourable burial. But by the time they've done that, the sun has set, and that means the Sabbath has begun, and it's too late to actually go and complete the job now. They have to wait now until the Sabbath has ended. And as soon as the first rays of sun appear, on the day after the Sabbath, they're out. They're on their way. They are returning to the tomb to complete this task of love that they hadn't been able to complete on Friday. They have rested on the Sabbath as the law commanded that they had to do But after such a traumatic experience, I don't think they would have got much rest on that Sabbath. How easy have you found it to rest after the death of a loved one? Their minds were probably replaying again and again all that they had witnessed. They couldn't get it out of their minds. They are grieving in a traumatized grief, and I am sure that they found no rest on that Sabbath for their souls or their minds. As they walk together, these women, as they walk to the tomb, their minds were on death. And I can't emphasize that strongly enough. They were going to a tomb in a graveyard to attend to the corpse of a dead man. They saw him die. They saw his corpse being wrapped and placed there. They know he didn't survive. They're not going there with even a faint hope that he might have survived this. They are going to complete the death and burial rituals. That's their reason for going. They don't go there expecting resurrection. They don't believe in resurrection. They have no reason to. It's not a thing. Dead bodies don't do anything other than stay dead. Their hope is gone. And so what they find is an incongruity that their minds just can't make sense of. Luke makes a bit of a play on the idea of what they find. They know what they were expecting to find, but nothing is in the right place. Nothing is where it should be. They find that the stone has been rolled away from the entrance. So they find something that they shouldn't be finding. And they don't find the body. There it is. They don't find the thing that they should be finding. And for them it must have felt like some kind of parallel universe, some kind of dream. (coughs) Some kind of dream or alternate reality where everything is somehow wrong and nothing is where it should be. And in some ways they have entered that, actually. Not a dream, 
but certainly an alternate reality to the one they were expecting and to what they could comprehend. This is all wrong. It makes no sense. And now as they're standing there, speechless and confused, two men appear in dazzling clothes. Definitely an alternate reality now. These women know these are heavenly visitors because they bow down to them in fear and awe. They're not just shielding their eyes from this very bright light. They could have just turned away for that. It's very clear that they bowed themselves down so they know that they're in the presence of something otherworldly here. And I guess it fitted right in with the weirdness of this whole experience. And the men ask them, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? And this is a deeply powerful and meaningful question. And it's also a deeply logical and practical question. The angels seem almost surprised that the women are surprised. They are puzzled that the women are puzzled. But Jesus told you this would happen. Let's look at all of what they say, these angels. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. These angels are doing something very important here. They're redirecting the women's thoughts to Jesus' words to what Jesus had said. And they're guiding them to make that connection. So often in our lives, when we're confronted with a huge problem, something, an, an unwelcome and unexpected happening, we don't do this. We just try to make sense of it using our own understanding and logic and we get stuck in the realm of only going by what our eyes can see and how things appear on the surface. And so we can't make any sense of it. And we wonder what on earth God is doing. Our whole understanding of him collapses because it's not supposed to be like this. Things like this aren't supposed to happen. Not to me. You can imagine that that is exactly how the women are feeling. They cannot in any way comprehend what they witnessed on Friday. Jesus now being dead makes no sense to what they had come to believe about him. And now the fact that the, the corpse that they knew they should find here is missing and nothing as it is as it should be, it just adds to their confusion. 
but the angels are pointing the way, leading them by the hand and showing them that they need to go back and start remembering, start making some connections. They need to remember Jesus' words. And this remembering that they need to do, it's not just straight recall. What this means is the kind of remembering where now, in the light of new happenings and new information and new evidence, a new understanding begins to dawn that wasn't there before. There is new light that they didn't have before. And now, a new and whole different level of understanding begins to dawn. I wonder if you've had that experience where you start to see things differently, things fall into place, and new understanding starts to dawn that it's not what you thought. And what was it, I wonder, that made that realization possible for you? It's still early in the morning in this scene, still the very first light of dawn. The night is over, but the day has not fully begun. It's an in-between time, the threshold of a new day that is just beginning to dawn. And God often uses these in-between times to do something powerful. Those times when we stand between one thing or one stage and another. God often uses those times to bring new revelations, new understanding, to move us on from where we were in the cool, dim dawn. These women's faith in Jesus is about to be moved on to a whole new level. And at first it makes no sense. We need to do the same thing that they needed to do. And the angels point them to it. Remember, think about what Jesus said about what you know of him, but most importantly, about what you know he said. Words that may have had a different meaning to what you imagined he'd meant at the time. And these Galilean women become the very first people in history to actively use what they have seen Jesus do and heard Jesus say and to reevaluate what they thought they knew in the light of the empty tomb. In the light of new information, which is undeniable, but it doesn't fit with what they had understood before. 
They are drawing on the knowledge they have and actively using it in a new way to help them process and understand and interpret something which is utterly outside of what they had expected. If you were here on Good Friday, you'll remember that we thought about the two thieves crucified with Jesus at our Good Friday service. Like them, like one of them, you can stay in the realm where what is true and what is real is defined by what your own human eyes can see and what your logical brain will allow. One thief did that. He saw Jesus as a defeated man being executed, a fool, a fantasist. But the other thief dared to believe that there could be something going on here that was more than his eyes could see. Something way, way bigger, something beyond the humanly visible realm that had a much deeper meaning and significance. We can limit our seeing and our understanding to the reality of this world and the actions of men. Or we can dare to believe that lying beyond that are the actions of God, which are bigger and greater than human eyes alone can see and comprehend. Let's look again at what the angels say. Just put it up on the screen for me, the next one. Jesus had told them that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. That must is more important than it seems because that is telling us that these things had already been ordained to come to pass. These were not unexpected developments. This was not God or Jesus losing control or the plan, oh, the plan's gone horribly wrong. Jesus has been crucified. This was the plan. This was always the plan. It's just that these women, the disciples, they had never understood that before. The invisible hand of God has been at work the whole time. The situation has never been out of his control, no matter how awful it got. And what may appear to human eyes to be the end, to be the final act, is not the end. It was never going to be the end. They hadn't known that. But now God is stretching them, stretching their faith and saying, come on, can you see this now? 
You couldn't see it before, but now can you see it? Can you see what's really happening here? The question the angels ask and the reminder that they follow it up with are designed to redirect their focus from floundering about in the mire of current events which seem to have ended everything to a far bigger perspective which can realize that God's work and God's plans are so much bigger than we could ever imagine and so much bigger than whatever may be happening here on the ground in the immediacy of today. It's just starting to dawn on these women. And it's going to take more time for them to develop this thought fully. But here in these moments, for the first time, they can glimpse that all that Jesus has suffered does not mean that what he had said about himself was untrue. And they get a glimpse of the staggering truth that his death, which they witnessed, was not the end, was not the last word in God's plan for him. How can he be who he said he was if now he is dead? If he was defeated, he cannot be both God and dead. What he said can't be true. But now there is a glimpse of a truly staggering revelation that somehow both things can be true. He can truly have met death as they witnessed but he can also be truly alive again. Because he is God who allowed himself to die, but now is alive again. And if that is true, then everything has changed forever. Because it means that death is no longer the final word for any of us. We can feel sometimes that God has let us down. We feel disillusioned because bad things and painful things have happened. And surely life isn't supposed to be like that, is it? God is supposed to be good, isn't he? Maybe we kind of understood from our Sunday school days that so long as we kept the rules, all would be well. But God hasn't kept his side of the bargain and we feel like he's let us down, he's failed, and none of it can be true. That must truly have been how these women were feeling that morning. He's let us down, he's failed, none of it is true. But what this story lets us in on is that when we reach that place, when all our pre-constructed ideas about God get broken and smashed, 
and all our false and shallow assumptions about him get stripped away, there is still reason for hope. Because it's only when those illusions and those false understandings are stripped away that we can really discover the truth about him. Don't be afraid to have your preconceptions about him stripped away. Because whilst that is almost always painful, it will always lead to a far greater and truer and deeper understanding than we had before. The moment of truth comes, as it did for these women, when we finally understand that God will not conform to our expectations. This resurrection is the final decisive move in the game that we thought we could play with God, when we thought we could define him and control him and pin him down and decide who and what and how he should be, we will shape him. We fall flat on our faces when we realize that what we thought was wrong. And according to all the visible signs and evidence that we can see around us, we feel like love is dead. Hope is dead. God is not God after all. But in this final move, God sweeps the pieces off the table and ends the game for good. He won't play it anymore. He won't play this game anymore. Instead, it's time we saw the truth as it really is and him as he really is. Have you had that moment yet? Jesus doesn't appear in Luke's account of this scene at the tomb. In Luke, the story unfolds slowly, and the first time we see the risen Jesus is in the next section of chapter 24, which we'll look at next week. It's a journey on a road. We'll allow him to wait until then. As this new understanding starts to dawn in these women, Luke says they rushed back to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It doesn't go well. The men have the same initial reaction. It makes no sense. It's nonsense. What are you babbling about, woman? And they too are going to need to go through the same process of remembering Jesus' words and connecting them and reinterpreting them in the light of what has now happened. It seems like Peter has to at least investigate. He has to run to the tomb to check the women's story. There's nothing here to say that Peter grasps the full truth at this point. But the indicators are there that he is at least starting the process of thinking and wondering and remembering 
and reevaluating. We need Jesus' words for the resurrection to make sense. We need Jesus' words for him to make sense and the things that happen in our lives to make any sense. We need to know what he taught people, what he said about himself, what he said about God, what he said about people and life and sin and forgiveness and shepherds and sheep. When we're faced with the unthinkable in our lives, when everything has collapsed, we need to remember we need to bring to mind what Jesus said, what Jesus taught about these things. New insight doesn't come instantaneously, and we can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to new possibilities, new realities, things that we never thought would be possible. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us to see. In a slow, gradual dawning, we will realize that what we had understood before was too limited. And there are whole new realities that we might dare to believe in. Because of this day, resurrection day, death is not what we thought it was. Nothing is what we thought it was. We have hope for the future that stretches even beyond the grave. We have life, a new life here and now. And we know that beyond this life, Jesus will return. And he will set all things in, in their place. He will dry all our tears. He will heal our hurts. He will heal the wounds that we've suffered. He will heal the world. And he will make all things new. Resurrection Day is the first installment of a time that will come when there will be no more tears or sadness or dying or pain. And the reason we can be sure about it is because of what those women first glimpsed on that morning. God's capacity to redeem all things is infinite. Why do you look for the living among the dead? If you're struggling to find Jesus, maybe you're looking for him in the wrong place and in the wrong ways. Maybe, just maybe, he's way ahead of you, waiting to see if you will open the eyes of your heart to what lies beyond what the eyes in our head can see and perceive and comprehend. He is not here. He is risen. 
He's out there, way beyond where we'd imagined he would be. And he always has the capacity to amaze us. Let's pray. Jesus, you are always beyond our expectations. You are always more than what we can imagine or conceive. Will you open our minds and our hearts to that on this resurrection day of all days so that we can keep on discovering more about you, keep on being amazed by you every single day of our lives. Don't leave us shut in by our own limited thinking. Will you free us to grasp that there is always more going on in your purposes than our human eyes can see and that you will always have the victory. Be glorified, be honoured, be praised and magnified for you alone are worthy. Jesus Christ, risen Lord, our living and loving, victorious King. Amen. We're going to stand and 